I, uh, the podcast said it was 32 minutes with scripture reading in between, which means I came in under 30. Definitely. Well done. All right. So, Northridge community, friends of the podcast, welcome back to season two. Woo! Episode one. <laughs> How did we determine it season two? Well, we took 10 and a half months off of the, the last episode now. Because of? Lack of motivation. Um, oh, no. No. We, we had a busy summer. Lots going on. Yeah. We both got married. We both got married. And uh, lots happened in the church. New officers, new pastors. Mm-hmm. And now we're here today, January 2023, and we just started a new sermon, sermon series. series. We did Jacob. Uh, Jacob, you did a lot of prep in anticipation of the series. So do you want to give us the Coles notes, the pitch to the congregation about what we're talking about and your first message, which I was gonna say last of, week. Of the first message or the whole series? Whole series, then first message. Oh boy, okay. Uh, we'll start with first message. So on Sunday, if you were with us, we unpacked Luke chapter 24. And the essence of that story, it's, it's the disciples and they are encountering the risen Jesus, but they don't actually know, they can't recognize him. They don't know who he is. And so the way that Jesus chooses to reveal himself is by orienting his story in line with the story of their scriptures, right? Which would we refer to as the Old Testament. And so upon Jesus telling them the story of the scriptures and how ultimately it is this story, this united story that works together to lead us to the person of Jesus Christ, they then realize who they are interacting with. And so the takeaway from the first message was that A, the Old Testament, we use it for a lot of reasons, but the way Jesus viewed it and the way also we should view it is that it is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And what we're going to be doing the rest of the series is doing what Jesus did in Luke chapter 24, which is to tell the story of how it all kind of leads us to him. Uh, it's a series we've called From Garden to City. So obviously Genesis chapter 2, you see a garden. Revelation chapter 22, you see the same garden now in the form of a city. And so we are attempting in... I guess the next 10 weeks to share that story. Summarize the entire Bible. Yeah, we're certainly not hitting everything. In 10 weeks. But we're summarizing the Bible in 10 weeks. That's our... Summarizing everything. That is our mission. And so what the role that this midweek conversation is going to have, it's going to take ideas, thoughts, conversations that were held on Sunday and translate them into questions and answers midweek. Uh, thank you. So... Uh, questions from the congregation you're welcome to uh, mm-hmm. send them in so we can talk about it because we believe that the message goes much beyond just the person talking at you mm-hmm. but it is something that we can digest yeah. uh, and apply into our daily lives yeah and a series of this nature where we're covering so much like i will be shocked if there are no questions like yeah. there have to be questions that come up um yeah so please ask them yeah yeah exactly and so getting right into it jacob uh, part of your message, um, uh, as spoken in Luke 24 and other parts of Scripture, mm-hmm. is this idea that the Bible, all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, is the inspired uh, work of God. It's this mm-hmm. divine human partnership. Um, and so the question is, like, how does that really work? Mm-hmm. How do we actually understand how this mm-hmm. Bible came about yeah. into existence? Yeah. Um, So when you are talking about the inspiration of scripture, or some people will use the terminology God breathed, um, that is an idea and something that we hold 
that the text itself makes the claim. Like we're not coming up with that. That's something that we actually see that the text speak of itself. And so you mm. preached a message from Second Timothy a few weeks, a few months back, which was ultimately one of the inspirations for the series that we're doing through. Going through is Second Timothy three, where where Paul is writing and says, "All Scripture is God breathed," um, and that's Paul making a statement again, not of the New Testament, but thinking back to his scriptures, which was the Old Testament. Um, so he's making the claim that all scripture is God-breathed. Um, there are lots of other instances. I wrote down a few. So like Micah 3.8, where the prophet says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Or even something like in Isaiah 61, where uh, Isaiah is saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. And so ultimately, this is something that we hold because the text makes the claim in and of itself that that it is the result of this divine human partnership hmm. um, where, where the spirit of God is indwelling a particular person to write down the words that God wants communicated um, both to people in the immediate context, but also to us today, uh, engaging in those words that were written. Right. And so I think a lot of people, when they th- when we think of this divine human partnership, uh, we can get the idea that God kind of just maybe sci-fi like indwells the person, types it, not typing because they were in whatever first century. No typing. They were writing it down and then they wake up from this trance mm-hmm. they were in and boom, on the words before them are the words of yeah. God. I don't quite think that's what uh, is meant by this divine human inspiration, but can you flesh that out a little bit more? Yeah, so that's kind of like the working model I had growing up, um, where, yeah, God is kind of like hijacking a body to write something down. Um, And I think, I can speak for myself, the reason I was inclined to view it in that light, knowing that the text says it's God-breathed, it's because I had this tendency to want to remove the human element to it because we want to be able to, to promote the idea and adhere to the idea that this is literally the words of God. But we know that humans are not perfect. Humans make mistakes. Uh, we know for uh, chunks of time, especially, specifically in the Old Testament, um, these stories at one point existed as an oral tradition that were then written down. And so... Like, oh, that's when you when you identify the human part in this, we feel like it compromises the integrity of the scriptures. And so right. with a model like that, you're basically just trying to remove all human elements to the scripture. And basically, like we were just a completely mindless vessel writing something down and it was literally all God. Um, and I, th- I think one of the challenges with that... Um, understanding is that like if you think of even just the the two scriptures that I referenced previously that doesn't seem to be the way that they are describing it right Right. like so if I go back to the Michael passage as for me I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord he very much knows what is happening at that present moment this is not the words of a man who is in some trance mindlessly writing something Um, and so if what do you do with that right like that doesn't seem to be the way that they're describing it um so what do we do with this and even if you look at 
um, like the history of the scriptures and the way they came to be, like there are human fingertips all over them. Like, and there's no, there's no avoiding it. Right. And there's again, grammatical errors yes, in the text yes, that we yes. inherit centuries yeah. later. And that's okay is what we're saying. That is okay because, well, there's more than one way you could address this, but if we put aside this, the story of the scriptures and how they came to be for a second and just think about the God that is revealed in and through the scriptures. And right from the first pages, if we think of Genesis chapter one and two in the garden, like we are presented with a God who wants to work with humanity. Mm. And humanity is the way in which he chooses to work. If we think of the garden, like God's original vision for the world would be that his will would be done in and through humanity. And so he places Adam and Eve in the garden and he gives them responsibilities to name the animals and and all that kind of stuff. So that's God's original vision, to work with humanity, not in like a zap or hijacking model, but to partner with where they where we willingly work with God. And and that idea is tracked throughout the entire Bible. That is the God that is revealed to us. Right. And and what happens at least what you see in scripture is when someone becomes indwelled with or by the Holy Spirit, they don't become less human, like in that hijacking model, they become more human because they're actually working and living the way that God had originally designed his world to work. Mm. And so all that to say, I think if that is true of the God revealed in the scriptures, it also has to be true of the God who brought the scriptures about, right. right? Those those two ideas of God have to align. And so... You don't have to necessarily have a God who hijacks someone, no, writes and, it on and, the page. And the human fingertips and traces of humanity that, that are all over these scriptures don't have to intimidate us. Right. Because that literally is the way, like the only way you see the spirit of God work in the scriptures is through humanity. And so I think this... Again, the the terminal the partnership terminology I used was very specific because it is a partnership mm-hmm. where both God and us willingly partner together to communicate. Um, well, when we're talking about the scriptures, to communicate His divine word for us. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so we we reference Second Timothy, which I mm. preached on, yeah. where Paul is saying all scripture, and mm. he's certainly referencing the Old Testament, yeah. and the way in which all of that scripture is God breathed, this unified story that mm. leads to Jesus. But we all have also inherited all of these letters from the New Testament, mm-hmm. and in the same way, we believe that they are the inspired Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how that kind of came about, and how yeah. we can hold the same weight of authority that. Mm. Paul ascribed to the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, to the New Testament today. Yeah. Well, if I if we look at the Gospels to start, mm-hmm. um, the Gospels, the Gospel writers very clearly knew that um, the the accounts that they were writing about were very much intertwined with the accounts of the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, right? And so when they were writing, did they necessarily think at the time that what they were writing was going to end up in the form that we have today in terms of very much linking it to the Old Testament and that this is now scripture? Did they think that when they were writing it? I don't know. 
Um, possibly, probably not. Um, but what they definitely knew, specifically thinking of the gospel writers, is that the accounts of the life of Jesus that they were writing about were a continuation of what had previously been written. Right. And you see that on, I have my Bible open up to Matthew um, chapter one, like right from the very beginning is the genealogy of Jesus. Mm. And so Matthew tracks, starts with Abraham, uh, the forefather, and tracks all the way to the life of Jesus. So like right off the bat, what Matthew is telling us is that this is a continuation of the story, um, of the story that we believed was God ordained and God inspired. And then, I mean, you keep going. And obviously, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, um, Moses was a prominent figure. And the Israelites, at, at, at the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy, he says that there will be another prophet like me that will come. Um, and the Israelites had been waiting for centuries. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then right again, right at the, at the onset of Matthew, Jesus appears and think about the infancy narrative of Jesus's life. There is a foreign nation ruling over Israel in the life of Moses, also in the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a mass execution of children in the story of Moses, mm-hmm. also in the story of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has to flee to Egypt, which is ironic because Endorse where was Moses living? Running away from Egypt. In Egypt. Um, and so the way that Matthew has orchestrated his account of the life of Jesus is like literally putting it right up si- right beside the Hebrew scriptures and be like, look, he's like it, this begging is him. us. This is a, this is the fulfillment of the whole story that God has, has spoken through Moses and the prophets and all the writings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they very much knew that, um, what they were writing was a continuation of the story. And I posed the, the thought earlier, did they, did they know that it would end up in this form? Maybe not. But I kind of think that if they somehow were here today and learned and figured out that what we did was combine it with the Old Testament, they would be like, well, yeah. Yeah. Obviously you did, because it's the same story. Same story, same God. Yeah. Working through history. Exactly. To redeem humanity. Mm-hmm. And bringing them back into right relationship with him. And it's this, yeah. again, the kind of the message of our series is drawing that arc from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it's this one story mm-hmm. about Jesus yeah. Christ. Now, the one thing I didn't necessarily talk about was like the letters. Right. Paul. Uh, thinking of like Paul and Lots stuff. Lots of our New Testament. Lot, uh, the, most, the most popular writer in the New Testament uh, is our friend Paul. Um. And so when we think of the question of authority and God inspiration and Paul and how all of this interconnects, um, there's many different ways that you could probably chat about this. Um, I'm drawn to a particular story in Acts. I'm struggling to, oh, here it is, Acts 9, chapter 9. So um, the Saul's conversion or Paul's Saul's conversion to Paul. Um if we, if we look at that text, right, the, the risen Jesus um, comes and presents himself to Paul. And this is what Jesus says, and Ananias, another man in the story, go read the story if you're not familiar with it. But what Jesus, when he reveals himself to Ananias, says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
And so when I think of the authority of Paul's writings and like why do we devote ourselves to writings that were from some guy to other churches that's not us and we're centuries removed from that time and place, this is, to me, this is like the first place I would point to the authority of Paul's writings mm-hmm. because this is literally Jesus himself communicating that Paul is going to be playing a very unique role in the life and the launch of the Church of Christ and that mm-hmm. Paul is his chosen instrument to preach to the Gentiles, right? This first wave of of the Jesus movement moving beyond the Jewish context and confines. And so when I think of the authority of, of Paul's writings, I think, okay, well, literally we have Jesus's words saying that he is my chosen instrument and that he's going to be communicating through Paul. And so, yeah, in one way, Paul is just a guy and he's just writing letters to other Christians and different churches, but mm-hmm. he played a very unique role in the history of the church and if jesus says that he's going to be his chosen instrument then like i'm gonna listen to this guy yeah good for jesus good for me yeah yeah and and we see that really early on in the church uh this collection of books letters writings the old testament new testament how it came about Mm -hmm. it took time uh, yeah. People argued about it for uh, centuries, decades, mm-hmm. trying to figure out which of these yeah. texts are authoritative. Mm-hmm. And pretty early on, about the third century, yeah. we know that there was a general consensus of what was yeah. authoritative. Yeah. Uh, and there's a couple criteria they used for that. Yeah. So, I mean, you use the word they debated about, and that's certainly true of some of them. Um, I think that can sometimes get overestimated because... There were some that they had to debate about, like, is this letter or this writing going to make it into our canon? Most of them, it was unanimous. The slam dunk. Um, it was a slam dunk because, again, they, they had kind of three primary criteria for something getting into the scriptures. Uh, Apollicity and so is the first one. So was it written by an apostle? Because if it's written by an apostle, it carries an authority uh, that writing by someone else doesn't necessarily have because mm-hmm. this was a person that literally lived with Jesus and was a first-hand witness to the life and teachings of Jesus. They looked at uh, what they call Catholicity. So was this a text that was primarily being used in churches, in, in the practicing life of a follower of Jesus? And they specifically looked at like churches that were founded by the apostles. Was, was this particular text something that they were using? Mm. And thirdly, orthodoxy. So was this a teaching that aligned with what the apostles taught? Mm-hmm. And so when you look at like Paul's writings, it's it's no wonder that they all m- made it in because Paul was an individual who certainly had authority. And we just read the story of the authority that was presented to him and the way that God wanted to work in and through him. All of Paul's letters were like obviously he sent them to different churches, but then they continued to devote themselves to it and to right. lean into his wisdom in the situations that they were that he was speaking into. Right. And oftentimes, like those letters weren't just like a single letter he'd write to one church. It would be like a letter, like a culmination mm-hmm. of his ideas that would be disseminated yeah. throughout the Christian churches. Yeah. So in the time. many of his letters, I know we associate them to a specific place, but a lot of those places aren't. Wasn't just like it was like one church he was speaking to. It was like a province. Of mm-hmm. and many churches, he was sending right. these writings and these these instructions to. Um, now he would ad- address 
particular Partic- individuals. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and you see the particular problems that he's seeking to address in, yeah. in particular letters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And oh. and sorry again. And and the ones that didn't necessarily fit that, or we referenced, there was some some dialogue and or discussion or argument about should this make it in, should this not. Uh, like obviously, one of the challenges they had was that um, was plagiarism. So plagiarism in our day and age is uh, Nathan writes something, then I take it and take his name out and write my own name and say, I did this. Yes. Plagiarism in this day and age was different. Almost opposite. Almost opposite, where I wouldn't take what you wrote, but let's say you are like my uh, rabbi and I want to honor you, I will write my own work, but sign your name to it. Ascribe the honor yes. of the text. So it wasn't necessarily malicious like plagiarism is today, whereas I'm just stealing from you. Taking the credit. It was a sense of um, you wanted to honor your, your teacher. Um, now, sometimes, other times, people wanted to write something, and if you sign your rabbi's name, it, it carries a weight, like which was one of the, the criteria for, for Scripture getting in, was does it carry the weight of, a, of an apostle? Mm-hmm. And so... The challenge that they had was that there were writings being written, claiming to have been written by like Peter, the authority of Peter, but it wasn't actually written by Peter. And, and so we can tell that because of the contents of it. Yep. Because it yeah, doesn't. It doesn't match. It doesn't match. Yeah. The the body of work. Yeah. And and, and so last thing, like yeah. if you just to kind of maybe bring this part of the discussion to an end, a lot of our our scriptures and the writings within them were, were established pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were just a few that they had to iron out that took a little bit longer trying to actually firm up who was this actually written by. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and we're not going to be able to do it justice in one podcast. There's no, and I'm, we're and certainly not the most all knowing. No, people definitely. <laughs> so we're, I, I, I'm going to attach some links to mm-hmm. the podcast mm-hmm. with good teaching Yep. Good content because this study, this the study of uh, the canon, how the our scriptures came to be, is a long, deeply studied mm-hmm. field. Yep. And so um, we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. Um, but I know I've been encouraged by by knowing that uh, this text that we we give authority to, mm-hmm. um, there's weight to it. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason why we say all scripture. We can say with confidence. Yeah. Uh, the holy text that we have mm-hmm. has the authority uh, that God has used people yep. to communicate his message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I think we can take uh, confidence in that mm-hmm. and assurance Absolutely. in the fact that this scripture is authoritative. Wow, we kind of took a strong <laughs> tangent in the direction of the canon, how the Bible came about to be, but it's good. Yeah, it's good yeah, conversation because yeah. we're going to be studying all of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. It's I think oftentimes people uh, get confused about the Old Testament, and mm. here we are debating the, kind of the authority <laughs> of the New tra- Testament. <laughs> Most of our series is in the Old Testament. Most of it's in the Old yeah. Testament. But I think it's important to know kind of how our Scripture came about. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. So I'm going to go back to uh, our, our notes here. Mm-hmm. And in particular, uh, the part of the, the passage that you, you reference, or your message, mm-hmm. uh, where you reference the Bible is the most popular book in existence, mm-hmm. bar none, New York yeah. Times bestseller every year. Um, if they let it be on the list. If they let it be on the yeah. list. 
but I feel as though, um, and this is kind of questions that we get, is that people are turned off by the Bible because mm-hmm. of the way it's been used mm-hmm. historically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we give it authority in the church, mm-hmm. and we use that authority to mm-hmm. hurt people, uh, groups of people. Um, and so there's a lot of people that may look at, yeah, you, you give authority to the scriptures, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of things been done in Jesus' name mm-hmm. that... And in the Bible's name. And in the Bible's name, yeah. more particularly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That certainly has been the case in the case in moments in our history since we've had this book. Um, like I, I know we all know that like at, at points people have have pointed it to to justify things like slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there were many churches in and around uh, the time of World War Two in Germany that used it to justify. Mm. Hitler's regime. Yeah. Uh, there were certainly people that did not. Uh, we think of Bonhoeffer as a testament of, of someone who certainly did not. Um, and so that's tr- it's true. It has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people, because this is the book that God has chosen to reveal himself to and the, the, the authority that it carries, we, we often look around at the world and what's going on and point to this as, and again, in the past, as a way of condemning people. I think the thing I would say to that is that I wouldn't necessarily hold the Bible, the um, the bad guy in this story, mm. or I wouldn't point to the Bible as the reason that has happened. Mm-hmm. We obviously, as followers of Jesus, are trying to devote ourselves to this, learn how we are to live. But just because someone sees something in Scripture and then sees someone living in a way that doesn't necessarily promote the way that this book instructs us to live, it's not the Bible's fault for me going and condemning that person. Because I think the more and more we learn about the scriptures, yes, they promote a certain way that God intended us to live. It's certainly not a book about going and condemning people, right? Or being, I don't know some of the terminology that you use, but like in the, in the past where, where people are using this to justify their mistreatment of another person. Yeah. That is the result of Bible illiteracy. Yeah. Right? That's not the result of what the message of the Bible is. Mm-hmm. It's me not actually knowing right. what the... Or co-opting the Bible for yeah. our and own so, purposes. Yeah. And so when I hear something like that, it feels like the, the, the fact that people have used this to justify their mistreatment of someone. I feel like the conclusion people usually make is we need to now abandon this book because that's what it's yielding. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, I think, no, we actually have to devote ourselves to it more yeah. so that that doesn't happen because that is not the way that this book, this God-inspired book is in instructing us to live. Now, I would add one more thing. And I, I think mm-hmm. of our, uh, our passage from this week, uh, Luke chapter 24. If we reflect on a bit of cultural commentary, um, we've obviously talked about this a lot at Northridge, both from the pulpit, but also just engaging with one another, that we live in a world where your truth is the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I am the source of everything that is right and wrong in my own life. I'm the one that gets to determine that. Mm -hmm. And no one else gets to determine that, just me. 
just me. And so obviously with that comes a kind of loosening of any kind of um, objective truth objective truth, or like the history of like our nation has traditionally been a Christian one with certain morals um, or lifestyles that we've promoted. And with this, your truth is the, this, the truth. We obviously see kind of the collapse of all of those kind of things into a more fluid yeah. uh, world in which we live. And so that's that's not I'm just saying that's that that's kind of the world we live in. Mm-hmm. So as an individual living in set world where that's not my view of the world, my view is that God created us in a particular way and he has a particular way in which he invites us to live and to relate to one another. And this book is the primary way in which he chooses to do so. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm not the source of truth. I believe the way I believe God is the ultimate source of truth. And this is the way he's chosen to reveal that the primary way. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way around butting heads with a world that says there is no objective truth. Right. And so when I, when I hear someone say they've used the Bible to justify their mistreatment of someone, um, we certainly don't want to go out of our way to mistreat someone or c- to condemn someone or to unkindly judge someone. But we do believe that there is an objective truth and, and we believe that in, inherent in this message is a message of repentance, mm. right? If we, Jesus' summary of the scriptures in, in the passage I read on in my sermon, right? The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached. In a world where your truth is the truth, repentance is a foreign idea. Right. right? What do it, I have to it, it completely for? goes against its constructed view of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm the one determining what's right and wrong, repentance doesn't fit into that. It doesn't work. Right. And so we adhere to a, a worldview system um, and devote ourselves to a scripture that very much preaches repentance, mm-hmm. that I'm not the source of truth, that sometimes I step out of alignment with the way that God invites me to live mm-hmm. and that I should literally turn away from that yeah. and yield to the Father's will. All of that to say, as followers of Jesus living in this cultural environment, there's like, theoretically, you can be as kind as you want, but if you want to remain faithful to this, mm-hmm you're going to butt heads. And so not that this is the time for the conversation, but I think a lot of a good question that lots of us have to ask and engage with about each other is how do we live well in a world where we are going to butt heads? Mm. How do we not present this text as a text that's about condemnation, Mm -hmm. but a text that invites us to experience the presence of our loving father. Mm. And that's, um, Jesus has something for everyone. Jesus is not against anyone. He's mm. for every single person. Mm. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Yeah. And, and I know sometimes this, this text gets painted in light of like, it's, it's about condemnation that right. it, it is about, um, exclusion and, and, um, yeah. So it's an invitation. Christ mm-hmm. has an invitation for all people mm-hmm. to be in relationship to, live under his kingship yeah and ultimately uh we believe that that is our intended purpose that why is why god created us to be in relationship with him yeah um 
And like you said, it rubs people the wrong way. There's going to be tension in this world mm -hmm. as a result of that. Yeah. Um, and so it's this this delicate duality. Yes, the, the scriptures have been co-opted to harm people mm -hmm. historically. Yeah. And we know in nowhere in scripture does this advocate mm -hmm. for that in any way. Yeah. But we also adhere to um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. This idea that the authority of God's word uh, is ultimate. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're going to come across people uh, that think differently. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Um, and it's this uh, delicate balance is how do we live with mm -hmm. both grace and truth? Yeah. It's that ultimate yeah. question. Um, yeah. And I, I know I talk about it as if like, like the cultural environment I just presented is rather new. But the idea of opposition, again, this is something we unpacked in our, our series a few weeks back, um, is inevitable. And like Jesus warned his disciples about opposition. Right. The opposition comes in a different form, but like the Christian faith has always existed and honestly thrived in in amidst, uh, immense opposition. And so, right. yeah, it's just about learning how to navigate that, how to be faithful to the way in which God has chosen to reveal himself, right. the way he instructs us how to live and how to thrive. Again, we talk about live as if it's like, do this, do that. It's like, no, this is an invitation to life to the full. Mm -hmm. And, and it it's might not literally the God of the universe telling us this is what it looks like. Right. And it might not actually look the way we think it's going to look. No. Right. And mm -hmm. then that's the thing. Uh, that's the hard part. It, it even jives. It, it There's friction with how mm -hmm. we even think. Yeah. The good life. What mm -hmm. is the good life? Yeah. And so it, it's abandoning it for the sake of Christ. Who yeah. We ultimately believe uh, has the best mm -hmm. capital T. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the best yeah um, and so coming full circle again to the series the idea that uh, all the scriptures unified story that leads to Jesus mm -hmm. the way in which we better understand how to live mm -hmm. how to live in grace and truth mm -hmm. and how to um, yeah follow the ways of mm -hmm. Jesus are by studying his word yep, uh, yep. getting into his mm -hmm. word uh, daily not worshiping it as though it yeah. is more than it is, it is the way God has chosen to reveal yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, we worship the God of the universe mm -hmm. who has revealed himself. No, scripture. yeah, absolutely. And so our attempt throughout this series um, is to help unpack that mm -hmm. piece by piece. Yeah. In particular, the Old Testament, a part of a scripture which is often harder for us to interpret. Yeah. We're going to unpack it and show the way in mm -hmm. which God has since the beginning uh, since Genesis 2 yeah. in the garden, mm -hmm. desired to restore mm -hmm. humanity back into relationship with yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, and so... And made a way for it to happen. And Not just desired, but... He made it happen. Did it. <laughs> through Christ. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's going to be the, the goal of this series. The mm -hmm. goal of these podcasts is to further examine it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long we've been running so far, so... Um, could be a long podcast. Um, and <laughs> do a quick rundown. Yeah, God has given this book. Yeah, it is authoritative because He has said it is, mm -hmm. uh, and we can take confidence in that because mm -hmm. of the history of those who have gone before us. Yeah, uh, don't think of ourselves as smarter than we are. There's a lot of smart people in history. Yes, and we have been given a book mm -hmm. that has stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. Um, and in this book. Uh, though people have used it and co-opted it to hurt people, mm -hmm. uh, which grieves both of our hearts, mm -hmm. um, 
we also know on the flip side that there are things that scripture shares and speaks mm-hmm. which will go against culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus said it himself to his mm-hmm. disciples. And so our takeaway and our invitation to everybody listening to mm-hmm. ourselves is to be in the word, to be studying the word, yeah. because ultimately God has chosen to reveal himself mm-hmm. to us uh, through his holy scripture. Yeah. Um, and so if you haven't already, it's not too late to join our version Bible plan. version Bible plan, reading through the Bible in a year. Right now, I think With the help of the Bible Project. 92 people signed no, up. No, we're at 99. 99? You could be the 100th. You could be the 100th person to sign up. And it's such an encouragement. We as a community mm. are commentating, having mm. our thoughts, sharing it with one another. Yeah. And um, Tim Mackey at the Bible Project is helping us along the way. fantastic <laughs> at communicating the bible in accessible language so no it's been good i will say my last comment in terms of an encouragement to engage in the text i read through the bible this last year Uh, it was the first time i actually did it in my year goal and what i learned especially engaging in the old testament is that sometimes you go to it and there's no way of avoiding you're not entirely sure what's going on Mm -hmm. when you're knee deep in um numbers or once the kingdom has divided and there's just it seems like it's absolute total chaos which was what it is um what i learned is that even just the act of going setting aside a time and and going to the word it is this ultimate act of worship and trust in god that this is the source that he has chosen to reveal himself um but even just the act of setting aside a time to go and engage with god in this way is at least for me this last year has been um, like remarkable the ways in which God has met me in those moments, even in a week, a day where I'm not entirely sure what the scriptures revealed. Hmm. Um, But it's just the act of going to it itself, regardless of what you read that day, Mm -hmm. um, I think is an opportunity for God to meet us. And so that's just another way of encouraging us to press in as we, read through some of the more beautiful parts of scripture, like what we're reading right now in the garden and, and learning about the fall. But then also once we do get knee deep into some of the more challenging stuff, that it's also the act of just going to it is right. just a, an amazing opportunity we have to to commune with the yeah. God of the universe. This holy submission to yeah. him mm-hmm. uh, and that carving out that yeah. time in your day, no matter if it's convenient or not. Yeah, And we're, we learned last year through... Uh, the practices of the month. The uh, things you do do something to you. you do do something to you. Yeah. Uh, and so um, be encouraged to be mm-hmm. reading uh, the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, this has been good. Yes, Thanks sir. for the conversation. If you have questions, please feel free to go to our website uh, after the service. Uh, probably not during or else you're going to distract the person preaching yeah. that week. But or a uh, welcome center as well. If you'd rather handwrite them, there's some cards you can fill out at the welcome center. Yes. And so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Season two. Episode, episode one. one. Of From the Ridge. Take care. Let go.